Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. Podland sponsored by Riverside.fm 2.0. Recording podcasts and video interviews in studio quality from anywhere. Just got an upgrade and an iOS app. We're using it now. And by Buzzsprout, used by over 100,000 podcasters like us to host, promote and track your podcast. It's the 23rd of September, 2021. I'm James Critland, the editor of Pod News here in Australia. And I'm Sam Sethi, the editor of Sam Talks Technology here in the UK. I'm Bruce Sapavitz. And I'm Marika McKinnon from Nielsen. And later we'll be talking about our recent Podcasting Today report. And I'm Richard Kramer from Arite Research. And later I'll talk a little bit about Spotify and the notion of hyper-competition. They will. Podland's a weekly podcast where Sam and I delve deeper into the week's podcast news. So let's get going with the big story of the week, James, from Pod News. I'm going to paraphrase the rhyme of the ancient mariner by the Englishman Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink is the normal reference. But I'm going to say data, data everywhere but no clear insight on the growth of the podcast industry. You seem to have been writing this week, James, about lots of research around the globe. And one of those came from Edison Research, which was writing about podcast growth in the US Latino market. Can you tell me more? Yeah, this was um, really interesting. So what Edison Research have done is they've released two bits of data now from their US Latino podcast listener report. They released um, a initial report in July, and it showed that podcast listening with US Latinos is, of course, going up, as you would expect. But this one was all about non-listeners. It was all about people who aren't yet listening to podcasts and how to get them listening to podcasts, essentially. So it was, weirdly, the US Latino podcast non-listener report. What they basically found out is that there are lots of US Latinos who are listening to spoken word already, they're just not listening to podcasts. So perhaps they're listening to radio or they're listening to audiobooks or blah, blah, blah. 23% of them say that they don't really understand what a podcast is. 29% say they're not sure how to listen to one. And 31% say they don't really know how to find one. So we always, I think, assume that everybody understands podcasting and blah, blah, blah. But that really isn't the case. And I think uh, it's useful to have this sort of data to help us understand some of the things that we're missing out on. Yeah, I wonder, is that a, a specific to the US Latino demographic? Or is this uh, a thing that we are ignoring that many people in many demographics just don't understand how to get onto podcasting? It's it's at the hype curve of growth. So we, we talk mm. about it as if it's just easy to do, you know, you just do this, you go to Spotify, Apple, blah, blah, blah. But I wonder if we're just leaving behind a whole mass market. I tend to think that we are. I remember back in my radio days, you would be reminded that there are new listeners joining you every single presenter break, every single time you opened your mouth. And I think that's something that is just as valid for podcasting as well. There are new people who still haven't tried podcasting, and they are starting this week. This might be the first time that somebody has ever heard the Podland podcast. Greetings to you, if that's the case. So I think we should remind ourselves all the time to make it really easy and simple. And that's one of the reasons why... I will talk about only having buttons for Apple, Spotify and Google on your website and not uh, every other podcast app that actually exists out there because that's not particularly helpful. 
And I also think it's a useful thing just to, you know, use the correct logos, use the correct phrasing, you know, talk about following podcasts if you're talking about Apple and so on and so forth, because there are people just joining us all the time. Yeah. One of the other bits of research that you wrote about was Triton Digital, who wrote about US podcasting in August. What did they say, James? So this is the um, monthly data that uh, Triton release. Actually, it's four weekly data that Triton release. And there's a good reason for that, because obviously, if you start comparing February with March, then you always get a nice growth in terms of um, February to March, because guess what? March has got rather a lot more days in it than February does. So what Triton do is they have a four weekly data uh, release uh, and the US podcast report for much of August was released last week. Downloads up 11% from July. And that's mainly, but not all, but mainly the Apple Podcasts bug fix rolling out. So um, the Apple Podcasts app is now automatically downloading shows again, which is a good thing. Stitcher is number one for podcasts, though NPR is actually really, really close. So they're 70,000 downloads behind, which is really close. What I find weird about all of this is that Triton Digital is owned by iHeartRadio. And guess who's not in their list? iHeartRadio, because iHeartRadio are with PodTrack and iHeartRadio don't get measured by this particular piece of data. And I wonder whether it's just iHeartRadio knows that they're number one in the PodTrack survey and so therefore they'll, they'll just keep on using PodTrack, I guess. I don't know. Now, the New York Times thought they'd get in on the act as well. So they've been writing about Cuban podcasts, a very niche market, I guess. What have they been saying? <laughs> well, they've basically been saying that uh, Cuban podcasts are really increasing and really doing very, very well. The benefit of podcasts in that country is that uh, the uh, media isn't particularly as uh, open as it is in many other countries, but podcasting, of course, is rather less censored. And so there are benefits there. And also, you know, it's interesting looking into Cuba because Cuba, you know, historically has been a very poor country and hasn't really had an awful lot of internet connectivity. And podcasting, you know, still appears to be doing very well there. So, you know, some really interesting data coming out of the New York Times. Good to see Castro's ghost and a podcast coming from Cuba. Now... Moving on. Nielsen's released their podcasting report today and you caught up with a couple of people who wrote it. Yes, I did. Yeah. Nielsen released a ton of data and a ton of really useful reports on all parts of the broadcast industry. And they've done a Radio Today report for some time now. They released the second version of their Podcasting Today report. And it's really interesting. There's loads of pieces of data in there around podcast listening and around particular genres as well. So I spoke to Arika McKinnon and Bruce Sapovitz about their new report. Yes, thanks, James. The uh, podcasting report, which is our second one, is a compilation of two things. The first source comes from our Nielsen podcast buying power. That's a uh, twice a year database that we use. Uh, it's a Scarborough recontact study. Very robust sample. Uh, where we re-interview people with a study uh, online survey of uh, their habits, as well as their favorite genres, how they listen, where they listen, days of the week that they listen, as well as whether they listen to a roster of 165 individual podcast shows. 
And the second source is our podcast ad effectiveness solutions, which Erika leads the effort on. And that's where we measure how ads resonate within host red spots as well as non-host red spots and the effectiveness recall and action from those ads. So there was a good increase for total podcast listeners. Where's the increase coming from? Well, according to the most recent report, the biggest increase is coming from the lighter listeners. Uh, We did still have an increase from those on the heavy side, but the biggest increase came from the lighter listeners, which, by the way, if you look back on how people are consuming media these days, people being more at home, as well as the maturity of podcasting as it goes up more mainstream, it's not a surprise that the number of people who are trying podcasts, although we think everybody listens to a podcast, says there has been a segment of people who've never listened, and now they are beginning to listen. And maybe they're only listening to one show, and then maybe now they're morphed into two shows and three shows. I think it's just a natural evolution as things become more mainstream. So light listeners has been a big plus. But it's also interesting just to chime in that, you know, like you said, it is nice to kind of see that heavy listening back on track and, you know, to rise. I know our our data was showing us that it's, it's almost at 30% now as of May that we're starting to see that heavy listenership increase. And, of course, as you said, Bruce, you know, some of that impact was due to, you know, COVID. And obviously, we all had different lifestyles during that time. And um, our schedules changed a little bit, which also impacted our listening. But it's really promising to start to see that heavy listening increase a little bit there. And how, how would you suggest that the podcast industry turns lighter podcast listeners into heavier ones? Is it a case of promoting more shows within our podcasts or what's the deal there? Yeah, I, personally, I just think it's, you know, more of an observation from our data. But of course, as, you know, podcast continues to grow, as we said, I mean, there's almost over 2 million different uh, titles now. So it's so much for people to listen to across genres. And I just think it's about, you know, kind of keeping those listeners engaged, especially as you promote more of your, you know, content out there. Just, you know, continue to keep them engaged so they can listen a little bit longer and they have that appetite for coming back for that next episode. Um, but, you know, as Bruce mentioned, too, our data shows us that listenership it's just happening across multiple genres. I mean, if you look at probably five years ago, people were more so into one or two genres. And now it's like, oh, I love true crime. I love comedy. I love business. So it's just a little more content for everybody to listen to. Clearly, the cross-promotional aspect of it, James, as you know, is going to be big. Uh, if you're already listening to, to true crime and you want to learn about more true crime, it's fantastic. If you're already in a network of shows, uh, cross-promotion is very big. The good news is you're getting new people into the space. Now the challenge, as you mentioned, how to keep those people engaged and become more regular and bigger listeners. And we're told that podcasting is very young. Are all age ranges tuning in or is it still a very young thing? No, definitely it's all age ranges. I think it was, you know, it's always been this thought like, okay, podcast is the new hip audio, you know, the new hit medium. And what we're finding just even over the last couple of years, we've seen definitely more engagement from older listeners, um, especially those considered to be, you know, boomers. And again, this goes back to the point of, you know, there's just more content now than ever. And with more content, now you have different talent, you have celebrities that's in podcasting, athletes entering the space. So because you have all this additional content with additional talent, uh, it's just drawing more of an older audience too. And I think that's really, really exciting if you kind of put two and two together, the more advertisers are dipping their toes, you know, kind of in the podcast waters too, because they're seeing now we have a broader audience to touch. 
um, and with that broader audience come, you know, different age range, genders, ethnicity. So it's really, really exciting. And I think, James, as we look at the shows that get submitted into the podcast Buying Power and the names of the shows, you know, I think you're seeing brands, media brands, that a couple of years ago were not in the space. Brands from television, brands from magazines, brands from digital things, sports brands, sports leagues. And those touch a lot of different people. And once again, it's widening the net. Yeah, no, indeed. And uh, I mean, there is an awful lot of data in the report. uh, And it's great to see this report growing and growing. Uh, There's an awful lot for podcast advertisers there, too. Tell me what you learned about the household incomes of uh, people who listen to podcasts. I think the more we see that consumers are discovering podcasts, and the more it's continuing to grow. I mean, there's obviously going to be, you know, differences in the median, you know, household incomes. And I think it just, it's becoming less obvious, whereas before it was like, okay, there are younger people listening to podcasts, they're also more affluent, but we're starting to kind of see that flatten out a little bit, especially as, again, we increase the range of listeners. Um, and so, you know, one thing that the data shows us, just with this report, I would say around 70,000 uh, per year, we've, we've kind of noticed um most household incomes that listen to like, let's say fiction and kids and family and music type of genres are usually around that 70,000 household income. But of course, we're starting to see like news and sports and business on the higher end, like just shy of 100,000. And honestly, this is kind of on track with what we've seen like in other spaces, especially in the video space, you know, and even when it comes to TV programming, where you have like your business and news and sports genre really attracting higher, you know, higher household incomes. And so, as you know, for advertisers that when they kind of hear podcast listeners generate that high income, their ears perk up a little bit because they're like, oh, high income. That's great. And so, again, it allows them to kind of tap into that range of diverse listeners now, not only across all the age and genders, but also household income levels. Yeah, high income. That's great. We can sell more stuff. (laughs) Exactly. There's also um, a a really interesting table at the end uh, of the report, which shows crossover data for genres. So, for example, 40% of news podcast listeners are also listening to podcasts about history, and 42% are listening to science. How, How can podcasters use that data to help them grow? This is actually new to this report. Uh, We kind of call it our duplication grid. And from the radio industry, we like to produce these duplication grids. But it's really designed to kind of, I think, just give people the um, insight into the different nuances, right, of just the audio consumers and listeners for podcasting. So we know that comedy is like one of the top genres. But when you take a look at the range between how other genres are also using comedy, we saw that more than half of the fiction listeners, they also listen to comedy as well. Um, And then I think there was like a third that also listened to technology. So it kind of goes back to like broadening your reach, right? So they're going to see some duplication across. And again, this goes back to podcasts is now mainstream. You know, you may have a favorite genre, but there may be top three genres that you listen to now across your favorite shows. So again, it's it's great for advertisers because again, that just gives them more of a broader reach now to be able to tap into listeners across various genres. And James, as you know, and we collect this information when people submit their titles to us, we ask them what the genre is of the podcast. It's interesting because then when you go to cross-reference that in, in let's say, iTunes, it might be listed in three different categories. There's a, there's a lot of gray area. You know, there's a lot of sports that's also funny. And then there's news, you know. So it's, it's interesting, but I think it, it lends to what we talked about before, that you can do some great cross-tabbing and cross-promotion 
to genres that kind of are next to each other and pick up listeners. And while I have you both on, um, you, you've obviously had a look at a ton of data which you've shared with us uh, today and also a ton of data uh, which is uh, hidden in there for your uh, customers and, as well. Where do you see podcasting going in the future? I personally continue to see podcasts, you know, grow. We've actually seen it just over, you know, the last decade or so, how, again, it's continued to grow. People are engaged. It's definitely an engaged medium. We're attracting people across different ages, gender, and ethnicity, as I mentioned before. And I don't think that's going to stop. I think what's interesting now is that people are, you know, the industry is getting really clever, right? So podcast is, you know, we have what we call like companion podcasts. It's being created for, you know, TV and cable networks. So everyone wants to jump into the podcasting space now. Um, you know, podcast is definitely inspiring, you know, not only TV programming, but sports. Uh, <laughs> teams now have their own podcast. So, again, I definitely think the content is going to continue to expand. And one of the nice compliments, too, I mean, obviously, podcasts started strictly with audio, but now we're really starting to see a lot of podcasts move into the video space. So again, that just gives, you know, advertisers just another platform to advertise on to now that, you know, people will actually have the visibility to be able to engage more with, you know, host and talent um, visually. One of the initiatives here at Nielsen is to create something called a Nielsen Audio One. You might have heard something about Nielsen One on the video side, because what our clients want is they want to be able to show an advertiser their large footprint of gross impressions across all different media. So if you're a company that has radio stations and a company that's streaming and a company that now is expanding with podcasting, it's not like it's just a one-off type of industry. It's, it's, it's an interesting that complements and supplements all these other things that are going on. And we see one of our roles is to go out there and present maybe an unduplicated view of how you can reach different people in different places at different times. Yeah. And then the other piece that I know we talked about too, you know, earlier, James, is just then having the ad effectiveness piece to all this, right? It's just a nice compliment to the insights that we're able to pull from the podcast buying power. So we kind of understand who the listeners are and connecting them to, you know, brands. But it's also nice to then be able to kind of prove out that podcast is effective. We've conducted over like 500 brand lift studies. And so we're really starting to see the different type of players that are entering this space. And you know, it used to be just direct response, but we're starting to see some of those, you know, larger brands really dip their toe into the, you know, podcast ad water. So it's really exciting for us to now have two services to really complement each other and be able to, you know, really help, uh, you know, our podcast advertisers. Well, thank you for reporting it. There's a link in our show notes as ever with um, more details of uh, how to get hold of the report. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you, James. Thanks, James. What I found interesting, James, about that report was that obviously they're highlighting that there's a lot of growth still left in podcasting, people starting to listen to more than one podcast, and there's plenty of headroom as well for advertisers. So all in all, it sounds like podcasting's in a healthy space. Yeah, I think so. I think one of the things that Nielsen is very good at doing is talking up all of the industries that it produces data for, arguably sometimes to a fault uh, in terms of what they do. But I think here is genuine excitement about growth of the industry and growth of how podcasting 
is uh, doing. And there's a ton of data because they do a lot of data around the advertising side. There's a ton of data around that and how well that works in the report, which is uh, really good. Uh, so you'll find the link uh, for that, as I say, in the show notes uh, today. Now, they're not the only ones who are talking up the possibilities of advertising increasing within podcasting. There's a report out from WARC and iHeartMedia. Yes, I never know whether it's WARC or WARC, um, and I wish somebody would tell me. Uh, maybe if you're listening and you know, uh, then that would be great. They came out with some data saying that 31% of consumer media consumption is now audio, but it only gets 8.8% of the advertising budget. Now, that is actually quite high as a Brit. Um, as a Brit, we were used to 5% to 4% of the display market for radio in particular. Um, so it's actually see, it's actually quite nice seeing that it's up to 8.8%. But clearly, a piece of uh, research underwritten by iHeartMedia is there to basically say, advertisers, you should be spending more in terms of um, audio. And uh, one of the most fascinating things um, that they came out with was that a quarter of all advertisers don't invest in audio at all. A quarter of them, which is quite a big thing. So uh, yeah, it's a really interesting piece of research. And again, that's uh, freely available too. So if I summarise this section, James, I said data, data everywhere, but no clear insight. Well, I guess the clear insight coming from this research is that there is growth in podcasting. Yes. And that podcasting advertising should be something that people look to. You talked about how the US Latino market is maybe being left behind because we're, you know, we're not simplifying it enough. Are we also leaving behind the advertisers in podcasting? Are we not making the opportunity available to them as easy enough? So the advertising buyers, are they being courted and given this as a new platform to go into or are they just sticking to their knitting and, you know, oh, it's too complex, that podcast advertising stuff. We'll just do Billboard and Google and Facebook and whatever else they do. Is that the problem? I think that there's two things going on there. I think one thing is it's really difficult to buy something that you don't understand. And so podcast advertisers are trying to make it as easy to understand as possible and as similar to other media as possible. And that's fine. But I also think that that doesn't necessarily get over the real benefits of podcast advertising specifically, of the things that you can do with podcasting that you can't do with mass market media like radio. So I think that there's benefits in making it easy and simple and straightforward by making it appear just the same as radio or TV, but there's also downsides in doing that as well. So it's a delicate balancing act, I think. There. Yeah, I've long held the view, and maybe there is a company that you're aware of, James, but uh, it, what... what advertisers don't want to care about if i put my advertising hat on it is actually the specific of the podcast hmm. what they want to know is that if i go to you agency a you have a stable of 25 podcasts in my vertical that i want to address and therefore if i advertise across those 25 podcasts that are the top 25 in this vertical i will reach my target audience so Betting their money on one podcast to actually reach their audience is probably not wise, but betting their money across a segment of top podcasts 
probably is the way to go. Is there a company who is doing that? Uh, I mean, I'm sure that um, uh, companies like Acast and other similar companies are doing that. I mean, you know, the the benefit there is that they do have access to, you know, hundreds of different shows. It's a case of trying to make it as simple and straightforward without taking away the real benefit that you have in terms of podcast advertising. You know, one of those real benefits, obviously, is a host-read endorsement. You know, uh, people who you trust telling you stuff about particular products or services that you might be interested in. Now, that isn't something that you can buy from broadcast radio normally. It's certainly not something that you can get in a newspaper. It is, though, something that podcasting works fantastically well with. And I think it's one of the, as I say, one of the balancing acts of making sure that ad buyers are aware of that bit but aren't uh, scared away from it. Okay, well, let's move on. Uh, One of the other stories that broke last week was the launch of Apple's iOS 15, which was made free this week. Have you downloaded it yet, James, onto your iPod that probably needs an upgrade? I have downloaded it finally, yes. I was uh, trying to uh, download it for the last couple of days, and I then realised that I still had the beta profile on there and of course it was going but there isn't an ios 14 beta anymore so i can't give you one uh so that was a bit stupid of me but anyway yes so i'm uh, i'm i'm all upgraded now to ios 15 it does a few new and interesting things so one of the interesting things is personalized recommendations it says the best podcasts personalized for you grouped by topics you care about I would just wonder how careful that they're being there. Spotify today has been criticised for inadvertently promoting a podcast by a far-right comedian, like a proper far-right comedian, like somebody who is a neo-Nazi who uh, helps other neo-Nazis in terms of financing and everything else. Now, that is completely automatic. You know, it's driven by the algorithm. I'm sure that Apple have, you know, magic plans where they're not going to promote stuff which is like that. But, uh, you know, who knows? But anyway, they're doing a bit of that personalised recommendations. They're also allowing you to share the podcast that you're playing in Apple Podcasts using Siri to your friends. And the clever thing is, if your friends have shared podcasts with you using iMessage or Messages or whatever it's called, then that will appear in Apple Podcasts in a new Shared With You section, uh, which is all very nice. And um, as soon as I can work out how to spam all of my friends, obviously, with a link to Podland, then uh, <laughs> then that's what we'll end up doing. Yep, we will. <laughs> I'm sure that everybody else will be doing that too. How do you turn that feature off again? <laughs> I think you can turn it off. Um, but it'll be it'll be worthwhile having a you know having a peek at uh, at uh, how that works still waiting for apple podcasts on my android phone I- i'm sure that it's coming genuinely sure that it's coming and uh, but i'm uh, a little bit worried i don't want to lose a bet that i made with um, adam curry the podfather earlier on in the year because that would be embarrassing uh, so hurry up apple and release apple podcasts for android i'm sure it's coming just get on with it. I have a feeling that all our Satoshis have been bet on that. <laughs> I can't remember how much I said I should go back and check <laughs> just before I bankrupt myself. I was going to say, do I have to remortgage? Moving on, though, again, because Apple have been doing stuff, uh, there's a report out by eMarketeer that suggests that Spotify will overtake Apple. Uh, will they? Well, eMarketer... 
uh, are an interesting company. All of their data is just quoted as from eMarketer. No idea where they've got this data from. Absolutely no idea whatsoever. If you are a research company and you don't release the methodology, how you got the data in the first place, then I don't think you're even worth taking any notice of whatsoever. Um, and the only reason, literally the only reason why I covered it in pod news earlier on in, in the week is that everybody else was covering it as if it was gospel. I covered it and I said, don't know where their data's from, don't know how it's gathered. It all looks a bit weird to me. But in terms of the Global downloads, Buzzsprout's figures for August suggest that it's already happened. Spotify is, according to their global downloads data, on 32%. Apple Podcasts on just 27%. So that's interesting. That's downloads, not users. If you go uh, across the way and look at what Libsyn are saying, they are saying Apple 60%, Spotify 15%, um, which is a little bit different. I did some analysis back in May, and I have pointed out gently that both of these companies' figures are wrong. Buzzsprout's figures slightly underestimate Apple Podcasts. Libsyn's figures wildly overestimate Apple Podcasts. So I think that the answer is somewhere in the middle. I think Apple Podcasts is still slightly ahead of Spotify. But uh, for how much longer is the question? So you did some research on, on pod news there as well, didn't you? Comparing the number of downloads you get from Apple and the number of streams you get on Spotify. What was the result? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I had a look at my data. So my data, I mean, all podcasts are different because it's just me and because I am able to grab a ton of information to properly attribute the downloads, I saw last Friday, for example, Pod News's podcast got 2,400 downloads on Friday. I saw 330 downloads via Apple Podcasts. And then I went to the Spotify dashboard and found 30 stream starts on Spotify. So Spotify is most definitely not um, not a thing uh, in terms of this. Having said that, 330 via Apple Podcasts, some of those will have been auto-downloads, whereas, of course, in terms of Spotify, Spotify don't do auto-downloads in that way, uh, and so not necessarily comparing apples with apples there. I think with all of this, you know, some people say we shouldn't really care. As long as uh, the overall figures are going up, then that's fine. I'm kind of interested at this from the point of Spotify is not historically the most open-minded company in the world. Apple has been in the past. I think Apple is slowly also looking at um, pulling things away from the open podcast landscape and moving things a little bit closer. Uh, closer and more proprietary as well, particularly with their paid-for subscriptions as well. So I think it is worthwhile keeping an eye on, and it's certainly worthwhile keeping an eye on in terms of where you market your show and what buttons you put on your website. And from my point of view, you should put in the number one, the number two, and the number three, which currently is Apple, Spotify, and Google. Do you, do you have any stats on what I would call other, which is everyone else, because everyone else is pretty much going to be the open podcast platform. The one thing that I try and avoid is other, because I don't want to have downloads that I don't know where they've come from. For pod news, the number one by far is Google. 
Google News, not Google Podcasts, but Google News. Um, you can get uh, Pod News as a news briefing on uh, your Google speaker, and that's where quite a lot of people have done. So uh, that's by far the number one, with 35% of all downloads. Apple Podcasts is number two. Uh, Pocket Casts, number three. Overcast, number four. Podcast Addict is number five. Um, there's a bit of a weird one with Podcast Index just um, overrunning Podcast Addicts. But of course, Podcast Index is a lot of different apps in there. Uh, and then it goes down to all kinds of other weird and wonderful things. Apple Siri News and goodness knows what else uh, is actually in there. By the way, one of the things that I can also measure is which version of Apple Podcasts you have. So if you're running the uh, newer version, the version that... Uh, uh, came out a couple of months ago, 14.6 and above, then that's where pretty well all of my downloads are coming from now. 319 downloads on that Friday. Whereas if you're running an old version of Apple Podcasts, well, what did I get there? 11 downloads <laughs> from the old version of Apple Podcasts, the pre-version 14.6 iOS version. So yeah, so virtually everybody has upgraded, which is always nice to see. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I'd say is it yeah, we sometimes have a go on this podcast about Apple and some of their bugs and some of the issues, but that's... What is it that you said, Sam? Um, uh, Apple Podcasts, the new Internet Explorer? <laughs> yeah, I still I still stand by that, though. And I, don't, I don't hold back. It is the Internet Explorer Yikes. of podcasting. But at least they're trying. I mean, you know, Spotify are even worse. They're not even updating the UI of Spotify. Or if they are, it's, it's you know, one minor uh, UI tweak here or there. Does Spotify, we keep asking them, does Spotify have to step up to the mark and change their platform? Well, I, I don't know whether that's entirely fair. I think Spotify has made a lot of incremental changes. And I Sorry, think how many downloads did you say you got? I think, oh, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I got a tiny amount of downloads, but I, I don't think that that's an issue with the UI within Spotify. I think that that's actually that if you are a podcaster and you're interested in this medium, then you won't be using Spotify to listen to podcasts. The one thing that uh, you notice when Apple releases a new version of their operating system is there's lots, there's a whole feature dump of excitement. And we've just done that, you know, talking about sharing podcasts and all of this type of thing. And you can ask Siri to subscribe to shows and all of this excitement. Whereas in the Android world, you get an update to your apps pretty well every two or three weeks or so, and there aren't those big step changes. The same goes for Spotify as well. You do get little updates all the time, but that inevitably means that you don't get large press releases and large events with people getting really excited about um, you know a whole new set of features. You mean marketing? Apple does a very good job of marketing. The reason why Apple does a very good job of marketing is that it holds lots of stuff back and then it just dumps everything out in one great big splurge of new features so that everybody writes about it instead of the Google way and the Spotify way, which is every couple of weeks there's a, another sneaky little update with another tweak in the in the UX. And, um, you know, I know which I prefer as a listener, 
that's clearly not going to be what the marketers uh, want. Or the analysts, indeed, because the share price doesn't reflect it either. So talking of analysts, though, uh, you met up with one of an, an analyst, Richard Kramer, this week. He came out fairly strongly against Spotify, in fact, calling for a change of management at the top. Yes, he did. I founded Arate Research in 2000 as the first independent technology research boutique with the singular idea that we would have no conflicts of interest. What you see in both Wall Street research and also a lot of industry analysis is the views of the company reflected through the analyst, which is why you see the pattern which I call sycophants and stenographers, the analysts saying, congratulations on a great quarter, as if the management team are a bunch of kindergartners who've just finished a tremendous job at finger painting. (laughs) And then they ask a question, so how should we think about, which is basically them saying, I'm an empty vessel, fill me with your marketing message that I can pass on to investors. We've always had the view that uh, the analysts should have a bit more critical distance to the companies and certainly should not be in the business of taking money from them. But obviously, that's very different than the business model of Wall Street. You released a client note recently about Spotify. Uh, we talked about it last week on this very podcast. Seems like you're calling for new management. Why is that? Well, I think with every company, uh, they go through a phase of having a, a very committed and inspired founder. And one of the things we've noticed with Spotify's CEO is that he still is referring to his company as being in the early days of audio. And yet, the company is 16, 17 years old. On the last conference call, he suggested that there was a change in business model from Spotify away from just relying on premium subscriptions to this new future of audio. At the same time, there were quite a few rumors that he was looking to buy a football club in London. Now, one of the long list of tells that a CEO of a company is distracted or otherwise taking his eye off the ball is when they dally around with things like sports teams or large yachts or third or fourth or fifth wives. <laughs> what we've seen in Spotify, as with many other companies in tech, is a long string of things that were supposed to be brilliant, incredible innovations that didn't really pan out. And I think you could probably recite quite a few of them initiatives to bring different sorts of content, to launch a video on the platform, to organize the content in a different way. I don't want to go into all the the various details of the technical solutions that they were proposing, but this constant technical solutionism without yielding real results in terms of generating free cash flow is telling me that they might need a different sort of management a more operationally focused management. And and typically in companies, there is always this transition to the ebullient founder with a vision to someone who has a thousand yard stare and knows how to run things. And I think you could probably think of many companies which have made that transition or, or, or failed to make that transition. Mm. Your note was talking particularly around podcasting, which of course is the 
area that uh, this podcast cares most about Mm. and pointing out that quite a lot of exclusives don't necessarily work too well as ways of getting new people, you know, using your service or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think Spotify should be doing there with podcasting? Well, I think you are the one, James, who's pointed out that Spotify has probably invested more in buying podcast tech companies and signing content deals than it has made in podcast advertising revenue by several orders of magnitude. The economic case for redefining the service towards a new form of content has yet to be made. I think that's fair. Mm. And they're also in a very difficult position in the sense that they might have been able to, several years ago, say, right, we host a few podcasts here and there. We're going to launch a separate subscription for podcasts, which is an add-on. But of course, now they're in the position where they can't exactly take away one of the major use cases of the service from users or ask them to pay more for it. So it puts them in a difficult position of something we see in many tech companies, which is always having to do more for the same price if not less. I wonder whether um, you'd change your mind if uh, Spotify was to come and offer you a number of million dollars uh, for your uh, new podcast, which is with a friend of the show, Will Page. It's called Bubble Trouble. What is it about and um, how much is it worth to uh, Spotify, do you reckon? Bubble Trouble uh, was started by myself and Will with the aim of demystifying the language of finance and technology. It's clear that there's a lot of self-interested noise in the markets, and we wanted to provide a series of guides to cut through what people were hearing. For example, as I said before, about with analysts. Uh, Why is it that analysts congratulate companies on their results? Is that really their job, and what's going on here? So we try to reveal this sort of truths about the way the market operates, and the way companies promote themselves via the market, and how important the stock price and market communication is to the actual health of the the operations of a company, not least because they're paying a lot of their employees and options. and, And that's an important barometer for many of the staff to see that their stock price keeps going up. So we wanted to demystify that whole world for the average person who doesn't have the ability to parse out the language, this strange language of the markets, and to understand what's really going on here. And every episode, we try to come up with a few smoke signals, things to watch out for uh, that companies would do. I think there were some interesting uh, recent case studies where companies would come out with new metrics like EBITDA-M, which is our earnings before interest tax and depreciation and amortization and marketing. (laughs) Uh, If you remember back to Groupon, I think it was 2015 or so, they tried to exclude their marketing costs or their customer acquisition costs from their, the profits that they would report to the street. Mm. So what we're trying to do is unpack that jargon and that language and simplify it for people and give them some warning signs as to 
what's really happening in in these companies. Now, you've just started a season about hyper-competition, which sounds like jargon to me. Uh, That's a a dynamic, competitive world in which no action or advantage can be sustained for long. Do you know, it was explained to me when I moved to Australia that because it's a relatively rich but small market, uh, things move quite quickly here. So as one example, we have four big banks. Whenever one of them launches something, pretty well the other three have all followed within six months. And that might be Apple Pay, it might be online apps or cardless cash from machines and all that. Is is that what is meant by hyper-competition or is there something a little bit more bad for companies in there? So hyper-competition, I think, was was coined by Paul Sanders and Will and I have picked it up and run with it with respect to tech companies It means a couple of things. First of all, we're in a very unusual era because capital is effectively free. Um, I don't know what the effective interest rate on a mortgage is in Australia or what sort of interest you're getting on your your savings account there, but I imagine it's uh, not a lot. No. (laughs) And the cost of borrowing has been rock bottom for for now nigh on a decade. And so it has created a lot of opportunities to deploy that capital. And I think you have a front row seat for a market where hyper-competition is rampant, and that is podcasts. I think the stat that you gave us was that uh, two new shows every minute, shows, not episodes, and the barriers to entry are obviously very low. Obviously, many of those shows rapidly become dormant or don't, don't find an audience. But when the barriers to entry are so low, what happens is quality goes down on average, but you still have the very high-end quality at the top of the long, before you get to the long tail. And you just have so many other alternatives. To wrap it all up, I would say, you know, the, the theory of hyper-competition is that all of those new shows coming on crowd out the potential audience, if they get any audience, for, or the incremental audience, if you want to call it that, for all those high-profile exclusives. It makes it harder and harder to justify exclusives when it's very hard to predict what viral content might bubble up and become a hit in podcasts. And it's very much like the record companies where they'll sign five or 10,000 artists a year and they don't know which one is going to be the next Billie Eilish when they get an inkling that that person could be the next Billie Eilish, they'll promote them to the moon and put them through a a tremendous marketing channel that they have. But it's very difficult for them to say, out of all these incredibly talented musicians, which one of those is going to rise to be the, the cream at the very top. Bubble Trouble is available in, uh, in, in your favorite podcast apps. Where else can people uh, go to learn a little bit more about you? For the purposes of this discussion, if you're not a professional investor, go to Bubble Trouble and listen in. Give us feedback. We always love to get that. And we always love to hear from listeners. And equally, I think there's no shortage of topics for us to explore on Bubble Trouble because we can see bubbles forming all over the place. And uh, we know that with uh, alarming regularity, they have produced trouble for for the world economy uh, or for local economies. So we're always on the watch out for new topics. And certainly podcasts feels as if it's a bit of a bubble in the sense of the it has all the aspects of hyper-competition. 
and yet many of the unproven economics that would uh, make it move from a bubble to being an industry. Richard, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. And I think, uh, as, as you know, Will and I are, are big fans of listening to Podland and fascinating show. Uh, it, it's great that there's one truly independent voice that goes deep in the weeds on various topics. And again, you guys don't seem to hold back without fear or favor into any particular company or or strategy. So I really enjoyed that interview, James. I, I think, you know, Richard had Why, some... Why, thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> one, may I say it's one of your better ones. Now, um, I've got some things I agreed with Richard on and I strongly disagreed with him on. Um, oh, go on then. The first thing is, well, hyper-competition is just basically the marketplace that we live in now. It, it, the internet has created hyper-competition. It's not new to podcasting. It's been across multiple platforms. If you look at... Uh, Amazon Prime versus Netflix versus Apple TV. That's got hyper competition in it. You know, uh, music industry has been there for many years. The features that iTunes mm. had, and then you know, Amazon Music. They they copy each other. It's it's the way it is because it's so simple to do in a digital format. So, but the bit that I I disagree with him is how does he expect Spotify to increase subscriptions if they aren't going to try to get uh, like films, exclusive podcasts that are going to attract you. They're, they're just the upselling marketing, you know, as we said earlier, you know, they need a little bit of marketing. And the marketing is we've got Josh Rogan. The marketing is we've got Bruce Springsteen and uh, uh, Mr. Obama or Michelle, his wife. That's the only marketing you can do in podcasting terms to draw an audience and, I, and he says that's a waste of time yeah i mean i would i would i would hope that they would market joe rogan rather than josh rogan <laughs> i don't know who josh rogan is but uh, yes i know what you mean um and in fact that is one of the things that really surprises me about spotify if you go on to if you do a, a search in apple podcasts for joe rogan you will find joe rogan's old feed and Spotify haven't done anything with it. There's one show in there. He's keeping it warm, presumably. But there's nothing in there that says, by the way, we're on Spotify now. Go over and tune in on, on, on Spotify. And similarly, when you try, you know, some of the other shows which have either shifted over to uh, Spotify as exclusives or are in Spotify as a uh, time window exclusive, then there's no promotions in their RSS uh, feeds either saying, oh, if you want more shows from, you know, Brené Brown or whatever, then she's over at Spotify now, download the free app. And I just find that really weird. Why would you not promote the fact that, you know, there are new shows in Spotify in the very place that people are looking? Hmm. The other thing that Richard said was, uh, I love how they're trying to break down with the retro research, the, uh, the murky world of analysts. Um, I, if, if Richard and Will are listening, um, please can you break down the dirty world of VCs as well? Um, because this is one of the things that I've always said about the VC world. Clubhouse is a perfect example of a company that was hyper basically funded by a company VC and then it was hyper given its growth with the goal of taking it to market as fast as they could with a hyper valuation and at the last minute all the VC pals pile in they then get their money out first and then the rest of us who might invest are left with a, a reduced share price and that's been the model for the VC market for years. Richard 
and will please please write about that dirty secret as well because it's one that has to be revealed i would absolutely agree with that and i think you know there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of what richard was saying in terms of how analysts treat companies uh, which is absolutely correct. I was bowled over. I remember listening to uh, one of the investor calls for um, Sirius XM, and uh, their CEO Jim Mayer was, uh, you know, talking about podcasting and uh, talking also about some weird agreement that they did with a fitness cycle brand. I think it was Peloton. Uh, it may not be, but anyway, uh, no Soul Cycle. Never heard of Soul Cycle, but anyway, uh, they they launched a, a Soul Cycle radio or something. And there was an analyst from Merrill Lynch who was on that call who genuinely said, because I wrote it down at the time, said, I thought you're amazing. It's so creative. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not the job of an analyst. But anyway, you, you know, so I think uh, I think Richard is absolutely right in in uh, saying that. Yeah, I think their strapline to their, their podcast or their business should be lions never lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. They seem to be uh, trying to say what they want to say through their podcast. And you're in a proper literary mood today, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I've read or eaten. Yeah. Let's stop it. <laughs> Blimey. Uh, anyway. Right. And, and my summary is, and I've said this before on this podcast, I think Spotify will be bought by Netflix. So anyway, it doesn't matter what Spotify does. It'll be bought anyway. You heard it first here, folks. In fact, you didn't hear it here first. You heard it in previous episodes, episodes of this podcast first. <laughs> right. Moving on. Enough. We've created enough trouble there. Um, mm. You wrote a interesting post about the history of British podcasting this week. What did you do that for? And, and what was the sort of... <laughs> What did you do that for? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it was like, did you suddenly wake up one morning and go, I know I've got to document this. Why Why did you do it? I'll tell you, because Sam Bailey, who is the managing director of the Radio Academy in the UK, was asking, does anybody know what the first podcast was in the UK? And it turns out that no, nobody does. Nobody knows what the first podcast was in the UK. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting? There are some um, uh, pieces of data out there around the history of podcasts, and perhaps that's something that it would be interesting to have a look at. But the history of podcasting in the UK couldn't find a single thing about it. And so I went and did a bunch of research. That was uh, basically my entire Monday used up there around uh, podcasting in the UK, which, of course, podcasting got its name from a UK journalist, uh, Ben Hammersley, who was uh, then working for The Guardian. He suggested podcasting as one of three names for uh, audio blogging at the time. And the first podcast that I can find is one called The Hitchin Hours, presented by Vaughan Jackson. I've got a little uh, clip on the, uh, on the Pod News website of that. That was the first one that I could find, which was published on October the 18th, 2004. But I may well be wrong. So if you're listening to this and you go, no, 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 it was this, blah, blah, blah. My definition of a podcast here, by the way, is a very strict audio enclosure in an RSS feed. So if it's just a download, if it's just a real audio download, um, as, uh, as I've been pointed to in a couple of places, that doesn't count. It has to be a proper RSS enclosure. 
Um, but it was uh, really interesting working on that. So I enjoyed uh, doing a little bit of that. The BBC came in uh, on November the 11th, 2004, a nice man called Matt Webb. I learnt that the first podcast that was a branded podcast was the Pepsi Max No Sugar Wind-Ups, which actually went out in December 2004 and got 20,000 downloads during the first month, which is astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Does better than most podcasts do these days. So, um, yeah, really, really interesting and really enjoyable piece of uh, work there. Yeah, two things to note in there. Uh, I went to school with Ben, so that was good. Uh, we went to school at Loughborough Grammar School. Shout out to the boys. Uh, Very nice. And uh, when I interviewed him uh, a little while back about how he came up with the term podcasting, um, it was because he got to the end of a report that he was uh, submitting to his sub-editor who said it was too short, so he had to go back. And he, he basically fluffed out the words to try and get it to fit the amount of copy he was supposed to. And that's the genuine reason how podcasting came about. He had iPod and broadcasting and just came up with it because he needed to extend his report. Now, I need to also add that uh, there is a debate around whether Ben actually came up with that, with that uh, word or whether it was someone else. Um, and I will probably have to write a full article on who came up with the word podcasting anyway, because one of our listeners, <laughs> a certain podfather himself, has a different view. Ooh. And uh, I would love to find out what that view is and give that um, the proper credence that that deserves as well. The other thing I thought was interesting was you wrote in January 2006, Chrysalis Radio launches paid podcasts for LBC and subscribers were charged £24 a year to access content. How did that go? That went really well. Yeah. So this was called LBC Plus. Subscribers were charged £24 a year to access content, which is about $33. And they ended up making £100,000 in just the first year, and they got more than 11,000 subscribers, which is astonishingly good, you know, for January of 2006. So, yeah, they were, um, uh, you know, easily the first uh, company to produce paid-for podcasts in the UK, certainly. Ricky Gervais, you, you might know, of course, sold his podcasts as well, but that came later. He launched his podcast in December of 2005 with The Guardian. So, um, yeah, really, uh, that, uh, you know, really fascinating to end up seeing that. Yeah, I mean, I think radio and podcasting and we'll probably talk about it in in tech corner later it is merging in terms of what is what is what is a live broadcast and what is a radio show and what is a podcast but um good to see somebody start subscriptions some time ago and prove the model works. indeed yeah absolutely moving swiftly on tech watch i was listening to the podfather and uh, the pod bro on their their weekly podcast. No, he's the Pod Sage. He's the Pod Sage. Uh, I think. Yeah. We, 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 I think we have to ask Dave what what he wants. <laughs> I like Pod Sage. I think he's because because he's, he's he's Dave is always very relaxed and calm about everything. So um, yeah, but I still. But anyway, you were listening to you were listening to Adam and Dave. Yeah, Adam on, and Dave uh, podcasting two By the way, great show about uh, Bitcoin and busting some myths about the energy levels. But the other bit that they talked about, that Dave talked about, was uh, how phase three of the podcast index namespace is now closed and phase four is now open. I thought, oh, what's in phase four? But I also wanted to look back at what was in phase three that had closed. And one of those was the podcast license tag had been closed. Um, 
And I, I asked you a question in the middle of the week, actually, about it, because uh, we were talking last week about user-generated content where maybe I could clip up something from Podland or someone else's podcast. And would I have the rights to do it? Do we, as Podland, issue a Creative Commons licence anywhere to allow anyone to clip us up? Uh, I mean, I think strictly uh, this podcast is a copyright podcast and if you make a derivative work i.e you clip something up then you are not covered by that because you are making a derivative work i think in reality there's probably no way that you can actually say no you can't clip uh, any of our stuff up i know when i worked at the bbc they were really concerned about bits of their output being taken out of context because, you know, partially, you know, the BBC tries to be as as impartial as it can be and um, ends up doing all kinds of um, clever things to make sure that it is seen as impartial as possible. But um, the podcast licence tag, it's a nice plan. I'm hoping, and I haven't looked at at the full um, specification for this, but I'm hoping that that can be expanded out to include licence details for music that you licence for your show, uh, because that would be pretty nice. But um, I simply haven't had a look yet at the um, at the specification. Yeah, I'd love it to be exposed in very much the same way because we've gone down this road before with photos and, and Flickr uh, famously had, and you know, that's when the Creative Commons license stuff was coming out. And I, I just mm. love it that maybe the UI in something like Buzzsprout or any other host would then allow us to place what type of license, because three or four, it's only three or four, and it's a radio button, so it's not very hard. And we could yeah. determine what our license was for people to copy our content i think it's probably the other way around i think you know the the default should be yes go ahead and clip our stuff and you should be able to with a tag say no i don't want my stuff clipped i know that there are some podcasters who are very uh, annoyed about seeing people clipping their content repurposing it in other formats and you know and sticking advertising next to that I can kind of understand where they're coming from. And with all of this, it comes back to do what the creator wants. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some creators that don't have as open a view of their content as other creators do. And if that's the case, well, just do what the creator wants. Uh, Respect what the creator's wishes are, even if they're wrong, (laughs) is probably the plan. And then the last one, James, maybe you can explain this to me, because I'm excited, but I don't know why I'm excited. There's a new podcast, a live item tag in phase four. Yes. So this is all about live shows. If you are doing a live show like the new media show, of course, which is uh, live um, as well as available as a podcast with um, Todd and Rob, um, there is a new tag which actually allows you to promote the fact that there is a live podcast coming up and it gives you a start time and an end time. So theoretically, it's the merging of clubhouse type functionality or fireside chat type functionality um, not that I'd know because I'm banned from it with the podcast world I'm a bit of a fuddy-duddy and I always think of podcasts as being pieces of on-demand content so uh, it all becomes a little bit blurry to me but um, but I can see that that might be very useful for some people yeah I mean I'm about to do a podcast straight after this one uh, with 
with a footballer uh, that is going to be broadcast live on YouTube and we've set up mm. uh, a set reminder on YouTube. So we're just going to broadcast it live. We have people who then come onto the stream and comment, but then afterwards I'll take the audio only, I'll clean it up and I'll put that out as a, p- a pure podcast. So we're trying to repurpose content and hit an audience at two points, that's all. Yeah, no, and I and I can well see that, um, you know, technology like Clubhouse, like Spotify Greenroom and those sorts of uh, services could be used you know quite nicely in that way anyway keep an eye out if you're interested in uh, the new namespace uh, and phase four go to podcastindex.org and now sam it's time for boostergram corner ah there we are how exciting uh yes this is the part of the show where uh we read out any boostergrams that we've got from your new podcast app if you don't have a boost button in your podcast app then you should go and get a better one at newpodcastapps.com uh we very nearly didn't have a boostergram corner last week because there weren't that many this week we've got lots which is great dave jones the pod sage has said as my first act under the new title of Podsage. I see he likes Podsage, Sethi. Yeah, there we go. He says, I declare Oscar Merry as an outstanding interviewee. Oscar was on the show last week. Also, where are the podcast feeds for River Radio, Sam? Are they in the index? Podsage out. Youch. Yes, you know what I'm going to be doing. Where are the podcast feeds for River Radio, yeah, Sam? They're in, they're in another index, aren't they? I better get my ass in gear today. Yes. Sorry, Dave. Sorry, the sage. If you're listening and you want to add any podcast to the podcast index, then it's really easy. Just search for it on podnews, podnews.net slash search, and look at the page. And magically, within 15 minutes, you'll be in the podcast index. So that's a simple way of adding yourself. Dave, thank you. 21,112, 21112. Sats using Fountain, so that's good of you. I might have to have a word with Robert Wushka that they actually extend beyond the three platforms that they actually index to to include the podcast index, so I don't have to do it manually. I, I think you make a good point. Let's uh, let's talk to Rob and to Noor together and see if we can get that fixed. Uh, who else have we got Boostergrams from? Well, it looks like the podfather himself has come back to us. Uh, he said, your opinions are very much appreciated. And he's also very kindly boosted us for Fountain. Two, 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 sats. He says, boosting for Fountain. Two, 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 sats sent through Curiocaster. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Uh, as well as uh, giving us another 5,000 for our opinions. Thank you, Adam. Your opinions are also very much appreciated, and it's great to have you listening. Anonymous has sent us 10,000 sats through Curiocaster, boosting to ensure the Boostergram corner stays lucrative and alive. Thank you, Anonymous. That's kind of you. Uh, as well as uh, Mary Oscar, who sent uh, us some sats using Fountain. Looking forward to the interview with Kyrin. Thanks again for having me on the interview with Kyrin. My interview with Kyrin is uh, now available. You'll find that linked from Pod News uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, it's also available on YouTube too, so you can actually see me in the flesh, as we as we say. Yeah, and we've also, I think, had a boost from Kyrin as well, because the episode with James is up as of Tuesday with lots of fun meeting outdoors in real life. So there you go. Thank you, Kyrin. He sent us 112 sats using Breeze. Indeed. And Dave Jones has watched it. 
After listening to James's appearance on the Mere Mortals podcast, he says, I went to watch it on YouTube so I could see the scenery. It was lovely. That's the South Bank in Brisbane, that is. Uh, it was uh, put there after Expo 88, which was uh, the world exhibition that came to Brisbane and changed the city for the better. Uh, but Dave then continues, I was disturbed to see that James is as skinny as I am. We need to get him up to travelling weight for when the Australian lockdown ends in 2027. Yeah, thanks. Dave. So here are some sats for a sandwich with extra mayo. Sam, you can use my other boost for beer money uh, or wine money probably for you as you're posh. He also says, I also now know who Shakademus and Pliers are. You should have seen my attempt to Google that phonetically. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you are unaware of Shakademus and Pliers' oeuvre, uh, then this is a little clip of Shakademus and Pliers. Tease me, tease me, tease me, tease me, baby. Till I lose control. Oh, that was exciting, wasn't it? That's about as much as we can get away with. Uh, thank you so much, Dave. 21,112 sats sent using CurioCaster. And if you uh, would like to boost uh, and send us a boostogram, then please do. Normally it involves holding down the boost button and you can get a sensible boostogram compliant app at newpodcastapps.com. Excellent. And just closing out then with a few last things. A couple of events going on. One going on today in Amsterdam. Dam. There's Podcast Festival 2021. It starts today. And again, if you're going along to that, please let us know what you think of it. I'm going to have a look at it. There may even be a live stream of it. So have a check check that one out. Yeah, and there's uh, a lot of stuff there around uh, location as well, which is nice to see. Uh, trade Secrets with the multi-award winning team, performing artist and podcaster George the Poet and producer Ben Brick uh, is doing stuff on September the 29th. You'll find uh, a link to that. George the Poet, of course, a very well-known podcaster in the UK, ended up winning all kinds of awards when he burst onto the scene in 2019. I'm really interested because obviously I had George at the podcast festival we did, but producer Ben Brick is the real brains behind that. And he's the guy I really want to hear what he has to say because I will be watching that. He's, he's the innovator. George is amazing, don't get me wrong, but Ben's the innovator behind it. And then, of course, there's She Podcasts Live 2021, which is an in-person event in Scottsdale in Arizona in the US, wherever that is. And that's on October the 14th. Um, some really good speakers at that uh, event, and it's a shame that I won't be there. I know that friend of the show Evo Terra is going, uh, so I'm um, looking forward to hearing what Evo has to say about it. I think Arizona is one of those that they call the flyover states. You'd never really land there. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I'm trying to remember whether I've been to Arizona, and I think I've been to Arizona, but I think I've been about half a mile in. And that's it, because I think, isn't Arizona the other side of Nevada? It's a desert somewhere. If it's yeah. the other side of Nevada, this is where two English people talking about American <laughs> geography. <laughs> that's what we need. Uh, and the Ambies is now uh, open for you to enter, uh, by the way. Um, there are two new categories. Uh, there is a Indies uh, podcast category, which I think is a dreadful idea if you ask me. But anyway, and there's also a category on uh, children's podcasts too. Yeah, just a couple of other things uh, to highlight for you if you want to listen to other podcasts. I certainly recommend listening to Adam and Dave's chat with Haas uh, McCook. He's a fellow Australian there, James. Ah. Uh, 
and I must know him. He, he might know his sheep. Um, <laughs> and, and basically, they, he, they break down all the myths around the energy usage around Bitcoin. I thought it was really, really good. Somebody who knows what they're talking about actually telling you how Bitcoin is uh, mined and where the energy usage can be gained from. I thought it was great. Very good. The, the other one, of course, we mentioned is Richard and Will's uh, Bubble Trouble. Uh, and if you want to know more about hyper competition, then their latest episode talks about that. And finally, one that I read that I found fascinating is Matt Deegan, friend of the show. Uh, he does a great newsletter. And this week he talks about does audio lack a product focus? Highly uh, worthwhile if you're into radio and podcasting. What's happened for you in Podland over the, over the uh, last week and the next few weeks, Sam? Well, some nice people like yourself and others have been writing about my radio station, which has been very kind of you. I've got a, a even a report in Germany about it, which was very good. Um mm. But no, the main thing is uh, business as usual, just focusing on raising a new round of funding now. Ah, which is uh, always fun and always exciting. And that's it for this week. Thank you to our guests, Bruce Supovitz and Arika McKinnon from Nielsen and Richard Kramer at Arite Research. Please follow us in your podcast app and on Twitter at Podland News, where you can tweet a comment about this week's show or tweet us a question for next week's show. You can also find previous shows on the web at www.podland.news. If you want daily news, you should get Pod News. The newsletter is free at podnews.net. The podcast can be found in your podcast app. And all the stories we've discussed on Podland today are taken from this week's Pod News. All the links in our show notes. Our music is from Ignite Jingles and we're hosted and sponsored by the wonderful people at Buzzsprout and Riverside.fm. And thank you to Headliner as well for your support and keep listening. Listening.